I'm Dr. Sheldon L. Akins from the Leading Equity Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Kathy Almy about improving math instruction. She is a math teacher instructor with over 20 years' experience, a thought leader in developmental math reform, math pathways, and transitional math, and the CEO of Almy Educational Consulting. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. <laughs> You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Kathy Almy is the CEO and founder of Almy Educational Consulting. As math faculty with over 20 years of experience in high school and college classrooms, she brings her love of math and helping students succeed in college to every project she works on. She led local, state, and national initiatives for over a decade before starting her own consulting group. In her most recent position, she led the Illinois transitional math implementation required by a law and affected over 700 high schools and nearly 50 community colleges. Prior to that initiative, she worked for nearly a decade to implement a non-STEM pathways alternative to beginning algebra known as math literacy for college students. And by the way, I really want us to talk about that. <laughs> so when oh. we get there, Kathy. Um, the, through that work, she traveled the country providing professional development to support faculty with, with its innovative pedagogy, worked throughout Illinois to change state-level policies that affected acceptance of the course, and co-authored a textbook, Math Lit, to support faculty teaching the course. She initially learned how to lead and affect change through her work leading her college's complete developmental math redesign. She is tenacious, passionate, and committed to improving math for every student with a college math requirement. Considered a thought leader in developmental math reform, math pathways, and transitional math, she has served in national and statewide positions and given numerous talks and keynotes. Kathy, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here, and before we get into the good math con you know, stuff, what I want to do is, let's start by talking about this. Where'd your interest in math come from? Well, I, the easiest way is my parents. Um, I, both my parents are teachers. I always knew I wanted to teach. That's just, I grew up with a chalkboard and but I knew I wanted to do that. Um, and then I really started taking a liking to math and my dad was a math professor. So nice. it wasn't hard. I mean, we had math books around the house all the time. Um, so that was, you know, something I was considered. Um, and then I went, at some point I wanted to be an architect and I realized that you, um, they needed to take through Calc 2, but that's it. And I'm like, well, I really like math and I really like um, teaching. I wonder how I could put these together. And it's like, oh, I could be a math teacher, <laughs> which is kind of sounds obvious. But at the time, I really wasn't considering it. I was considering teaching something, but I didn't know what. That's awesome. That, you know, it's that, uh, that love of math. One of the things that uh, um, I enjoy math, I like it, but I still went on and became a history teacher. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's, which my kids remind me about all the time when they easily solve the math problem and I'm struggling there with the pencil or whatever. <laughs> Dad, do it in your brain. Anyway, okay, we're good. <laughs> uh, so I understand that you still do some teaching. Uh, what do you teach and what do you like about teaching? Well, I still teach at the community college that I taught at full-time uh, for years. I'm a, I teach part-time there. Um, I, in theory, I can teach anything they have, but the, my favorite courses to teach are statistics. Um, absolutely love that. And um, the, this math literacy course that you had mentioned in my intro, um, that was a course that I worked on helping design. So I'm very, very passionate about it. But basically, both of those courses have the same thing in common. They're completely real. And I don't have students asking me the entire course, um, when are we ever going to use this? Whoever uses this? <laughs> and it doesn't seem just um, arbitrary what we're doing. And I can very easily defend what we're doing. It's like I can, they can, sh I can show them what the point is. And so those are the courses that I most enjoy teaching. Awesome. You know, that's, you know, it's, I, I think about uh, um, taking math and a lot of times, uh, um, taking math courses, whether it was in school, college, whatever, the, uh, a lot of times you do have kids that you run into who say things about, why do I have to know this? Or do I have to know this? Or will I ever use this? And it's cool to hear that you have this focus on trying to kind of get to 
get at that and solve that. So. Right. And, and here's the thing. It's it, that sometimes that doesn't go over well with math teachers because they're like, <laughs> we're not here to entertain. We're not here. You know, not everything has to have a point. You know, some things are just beautiful to learn for learning's sake. And I don't disagree with any of that. But what I'm trying to come out in my classroom is remember, I'm not teaching me. I'm teaching my students and where they're coming from. And while some of them may just love math for math's sake, a lot of them don't. And so I'm trying to pull them in any way I can to engage them. That's awesome. Just great stuff. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to spend some time talking about math and math instruction and math reforms. And so let's talk a little bit about modernizing math instruction and content. You know, what is this to you? And what, what do you think is the largest issue? I think the biggest thing that bothers me about the way that we teach math right now is that it does not align with the world that we live in. And so we tell students these things in math classes, you're going to have to be able to do this. You know, you have to learn this, this. And it's just a lot of those things aren't true anymore. You know, we say things like, well, it's not like you're going to carry a calculator with you everywhere. And it's, but people do every single day. That's what they have on them all the time. And, and I get that we need to not be dependent on it. I'm not saying we don't, you know, have, need to have some mental math abilities and understand things. I don't want to be dependent on everything that's technology, but we operate as though a lot of technology does not exist. We operate as though we're doing things like we were 100, 150 years ago. Um, I don't think we need to throw out everything we're doing. I don't think we need to, you know, just like scrap all of the, you know, some of the core foundations that we have. But I absolutely think that we need to look at what proportion of the time we're spending on different things. And that needs to be adjusted with the fact that life has changed. And here's one of the biggest things that I'm concerned about. It's that we focus on teaching skills to students that are already automated by technology, instead of focusing on teaching things that are very difficult to automate with technology, which is problem solving and critical thinking. We don't focus on that enough. And every math teacher would say, yes, we do. We're, when we teach factoring or whatever we're teaching, we're focusing on problem solving. I don't disagree with that, but it's not the kind of problem solving they're going to need when they're in their lives and their jobs. We don't focus on that enough. I got to make sure I say something to what you said a minute ago, because you talked about uh, um, people telling kids that you're not going to carry a calculator with you every day. You know, it, I can remember that being told to me a lot back in, you know, I, I graduated from high school in hmm, 1981. And, you know, and, and in those days, the calculator had rapidly gone from just this little, device to it could do all kinds of cool things and trig and stuff like this and and I know it can do so much more now but <laughs> it was funny because you know they were this little wedge-shaped thing uh, the Texas instrument model was very popular it's a TI-30 or something like that TI-35 I forget which one and uh, you know I actually accidentally dropped mine on my way to school and ran over it on my bike and uh, after that the only way to make it work was to push it in from the back and then <laughs> push hard from the front but it still worked um, but they used to say things like, you know, you got You can't get used to using this calculator because it'll, you know, it, it's it's not going to be with you every day. Well, and then here we are today, and we have people with these really cool watches that, uh, you know, they can communicate with each other, talk with each other, and there's a calculator there, right? <laughs> Besides our cell phones, and it's it's like, yeah, it is with us every day. Hmm, interesting. Yes, yeah, and so that complicates things, and you know, it, it just means that we have to update because a lot of times teachers like we are what we'll do is be like okay the newest technology came out we're gonna have to make this rule and this rule and it's like hey you know it exists let's acknowledge the world we're, we're living in and maybe we need to change the questions that we're asking so that that technology doesn't give them all of the answers and ask ourselves why are we asking questions that could be completely given by a piece of technology maybe we're not asking the right things Awesome. And I'm going to use that to lead us into, uh, you know, I, I've heard you say that we need to get some balance in what we require in math instruction. Could you put this in context for the audience and tell us what you mean? What I guess the as many forms as reforms as we've had in this country and, you know, Common Core and different things that have come through and both colleges and high schools have done reform. You still, if you went to a typical math classroom in a high school or a college around this country, you would see the I do, we do, you do approach based on an algebraic skill. That would be the bulk of what you would see that today this is what we're going to do. And we would spend a ton of time working on a skill. We would do very little time working on anything realistic. And then when we do, it would be incredibly contrived. 
it wouldn't be a real problem that would have some meat to it. It would still be something that's formulaic and not that interesting. And what I want to see is, yes, we have to have skills. We have to have, you know, teach that content knowledge. But I would like to see us start with problems, work more problem solving in and give meaning to why we're learning these skills and, and, and constantly be looking at, okay, we now have this skill. How do we use it? And I guess one of the things that I would like us to see is to pull back on what I almost call like a ridiculous level of some of the skill problems that we give students. Um, not everybody on here, I'm sure, is a math teacher, so I'm not going to bore you with a math example, but let me give you a numeric example that would be equivalent. We have math problems that are equivalent to things like, let's take a 10-digit you know, decimal and let's multiply it by an 8-digit decimal, which like, in, in, but an equivalent in an algebra problem. Nobody does that. And it's like, and, and what we do is we get into these, in the weeds of these things and we lose the forest for the trees. I'm big on metaphors. You'll hear me say a lot of metaphors and um, colloquialisms, but it's just, that's what happens. And it's like, we think that students are getting all this deep understanding, but they're not. They're like just losing track of, okay, what is it that we're doing? And so I'm not saying we need to scrap that, but we need to pull back and like, okay, what's the big goal here? And what are we spending most of our time on? And that's what I want to see. It's like, let's keep the algebra, but let's up the problem solving and how are we applying it, regardless if it's in context or not. Maybe it's not in a real life application. I'll just put it this way. We have students that take all this algebra and they still get into a calculus class and you ask any calculus teacher and we'll all say the same thing. The thing they can't do is the algebra. Hmm. They've taken years of algebra. And it's because, again, they have seen it, they have tested on it, but they do not have a working knowledge that they can use. That to me is what we have got to do better with. And I got to tell you right now, there's uh, in the back of my brain, you just brought forward this terrible memory of sitting down with my college professor as he, my calc professor as he's going, okay, um, Steve, let's talk about something here. We got a little problem with your algebra. All right. And, <laughs> and um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you're so right on the money and it, it's like, and I had, I went through Calc 2, and at Calc 2, I went, okay, I think I'm done now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's what a lot and, of people say after Calc 2. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because in both classes, I had these discussions with these professors. And, uh, um, and what's sad is that if you go back to Steve as a student, all right, now I was a good student, I was a good kid, I was quiet, and I learned to play a game with teachers. And that was, if you let me play this game, then we're going to be awesome. And like I said, I'm not a bad kid, but so I'm not going to cause you trouble, but I'm also, I didn't want to be embarrassed by not knowing the answer or something like this. So if I looked at you, if I didn't interact with my kids, my kids, if I didn't interact with my friends in the class and I sat in a way in which I'm not in the very back and I'm not in the very front, but I'm just kind of in that kind of middle that gets glossed over a little bit, sit a little mm -hmm. bit to the, to the left of center from the teacher's perspective, looking out, they, uh, what would happen is that I didn't get called on. I didn't get called to the board. And the only time you would, and you know, today formative assessment is a big deal, not then. <laughs> and so the only time someone would find out is when the test came. And, uh, you know, sometimes I could kind of figure my way through it, but I'm exactly one of those, you know, what happened to me was I did okay. And then when I get to, to the calculus, it's obvious that I didn't, it didn't sink in. I didn't have a working knowledge as you said. Right. And so that's, that's what I'm always coming back to looking, because there's a lot of students who do exactly what you did. That's very common. They learn the rules of how the classroom works and how, just how all this works. And they, they know how to play the game, but they don't, they're not necessarily really gaining knowledge. And then it shows up, it shows up in various places. And it, sometimes it can just have really, um, devastating consequences. Like if they go, if they start with a college who starts with a placement test, which is common and they're like, okay, I took all these courses. I know all of this stuff. And then they place into beginning algebra, which is like algebra one in high school. And they're like, but I took pre-calculus. What am I sitting here for? And it's just, it, it can really surprise students. Um, oh, that's a whole nother conversation, but <laughs> there's, there can be bad outcomes to that. And, and when that happens to students, it's not always a great, great thing. I just, you, you got that right. That's uh, something that uh, just from my own personal experience, it's one of those things that uh, it does come back to haunt you and you wish that you had, uh, uh, it, it's not about paying attention. It's, it's about uh, them understanding that you're really not getting it and doing the things right. to help you get it. So uh, 
you know, you have a, a whole bunch of topics that you like to talk about and, and uh, within math instruction. And one of them is something called active math, the, the active math classroom. Can you explain what that is? Yes. And I guess the easiest way is to think about um, from a math teacher's perspective, what are all the things that we as math teachers do? We do things like we're explaining concepts, we're asking questions, we're providing answers, all these things. An active math classroom has the students doing those things just as much. So they're going to be talking to each other. They're going to be questioning. They're going to be providing answers. And I'm not necessarily saying, because sometimes teachers get tired of the whole thing as are we the sage on the stage or the guide on the side and all of that. I feel like in an active math classroom, basically I'm moving constantly. So physically it's active. I'm moving, my students are moving. We're all talking, not at the same time. But the idea is we are really like, we're trying to get curious and interested and ask questions. And it's about learning. The biggest thing I would say is it's not, it's not just about instruction. And that's one of the biggest things that I've come to in the last couple of years where I've really started to think, okay, is my focus teaching or learning? And I know we all say it's learning, <clears throat> but that doesn't necessarily evident in our actions. And I'm totally guilty of this. So I'm not you know, judging others. I'm saying we're all, a lot of us, especially in math, we're very guilty of this for good reason. We have a lot of pressure. We have a lot of things we have to get done and we have test scores and just a lot of content that has to um, be covered. I hate that word, but it's, that's how, what we say. Um, and what happens is I think we, it's easier and it's more efficient for us to be lecturing and up and talking at students. It's like, wow, look, I did this great lesson. It was awesome. But what are they getting from it? So to me, an active classroom means the students are engaging with the content, each other and the instructor. Oh, excellent. The, uh, you know, with the engagement part, that's something that I think uh, is sometimes it's hard to do. I don't know if it's, it's a part of just trying to figure out. I, I know that because it's difficult to do <laughs> um, and it, for some people to turn it over to, to let the kids use um, the math, it, you know, not just work a problem at the board, but to actually mm -hmm. get involved in the discussion and kind of drive where it's going. Um, it, and, and I got to mention this right here, because what you just said, have you ever used some of those boards, like uh, some of them have the names of companies and so forth, but the, the kids can manipulate them and go out into the world and they can move this stuff back and forth. Like, uh, let me just name some of them. There's like Smart and mm -hmm. Promethean and different, right. uh, um, just the different interactive boards. Um, sometimes I've found th those are meant to create engagement around <laughs> these activities. And by the way, this I'm not sponsored by, nor <laughs> have I been paid to mention those companies. Um, but the, you know, a lot of people are familiar with them. And what's interesting is that a lot of times um, they just get used as like big screens from the 1970s. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, so thanks for explaining that about the active math classroom. You know, how do you think an organization can best take steps to change their math instruction? Well, I, I think one of the, the easiest things to do is because what we typically do <clears throat> is we will talk about outcomes and We'll talk about what's not working and we like to complain or we <clears throat> have an administrator that comes to us and says, hey, look at these, um, these outcomes, we need to look at them. And that's typically how we like we come at, let's make a change, which is not necessarily the most motivating way to do it. What I like to do is let teachers experience what a different classroom could look like. And I love to do this with professional development. I love to put them through a, to a totally different lesson, a way of approaching a topic that they're familiar with. But the big thing that I try to do is show them and then I tell them what we did. So I let them you know, experience, what did it feel like to start with a problem instead of starting with the day's objectives, which is really, really, really hard, um, especially, and you were, you were a principal, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out on this. You, know, uh -oh. you probably never uh -oh. did this. But I can't tell you how many math teachers are like, my principal said I have to start with the objectives and I have to have them on the board. And I'm like, we can absolutely start with the objectives early on, but we don't have to start the lesson with them. We can wait five minutes and then we can put them up. And here's why. The main issue that happens in math, especially when you're getting into college math and the stakes are higher and it's about um, being able to apply the knowledge is that students will always say if you could just give me the first step I just need the first step and then I'm, I'm good I'm golden at that point but I don't know how to get started and so one of the things that I try to do is every opportunity I have with my students I'm like how can I make this more into an opportunity for them to learn so if we're going to do 
of we're going to start a lesson. We're going to start with a problem. I'm going to have them work on it, and I'm not going to tell them what it's about. I'm not going to categorize it for them. Now, granted, some of them may look at the lesson and be like, okay, in the book, this is what we're, we're talking about. But fortunately, a lot of students don't like to read. hate to say that, but it actually works in our benefit in this case. They're like, oh, I'm not going to go look at what the lesson's about. And so they really don't know what it's about, which is, you know, this is one place we're not, not liking to read. We can use to our advantage. So that's what I want. I want it to be an uncategorized situation. I want them to have to look at it and figure out what they're doing and because that's how real life is and that's how using math is going to look. It's not going to be like, this is this type of problem. It's gonna be, here's a problem, figure it out. So I try to do that with them. And then what I try to do is show, okay, we can start this way. It's gonna bring about a lot of interesting questions. You're, it's still gonna have lots of rigor. Then we can talk about what are the objectives for the day and why are we learning what we're learning? Then we're gonna go through it. We're gonna, you're still gonna see the skills, you're still gonna see the concepts and the theory and the definitions, but now we had a reason to learn it, and then we're gonna talk about how do we use it. And what I try to do is put, you know, let a teacher feel this. What does this look like? And then we'll talk about what did the room look like when we did things like this? How did you feel? What do you think the problems and the challenges are gonna be? What do you think the benefits are gonna be? And it doesn't take long before they're interested. And they're like, huh, this could be, this could be interesting doing this. But of course, what happens is then they're like, where am I going to get problems to do this? How am I going to be able to do this? So one of the things I like to try to teach teachers how to do is take a lesson and a book they're already using. How can we improve the instruction? And here's the thing. We're trying to improve the experience for everyone. I want the teacher to have as good of experience too as the students. So it's not just going to be one of these things where it's better for them, but it's horrible for us. No, it wanted to be better for all of us. That's, that's awesome. The, you know, it's, uh, what you made me think about is trying to encourage the teacher and how to go about looking at those lessons and uh, to make the changes to them, to make them more engaging. I, well, that's one of the things I really enjoy working on teachers. And it, and it can be overwhelming at first for, for teachers to do that. They don't necessarily know how they're out of their comfort zone. But I think if you give teachers examples of what this can look like and you give them support, that is one of the biggest things that I'm really, um, I feel like everywhere we say we have professional development, we have professional development constantly, okay? We're going to have, you know, meeting days, all of this. But it's not the, the lasting support that teachers need to actually make change. Change happens over time, just like learning happens over time. And so it's like, if we want math instruction to actually change, if we want teachers to do something different in their classrooms, it has to be something where we are doing something with them and helping them on an ongoing basis. Because they're going to have places where they struggle. They need to have people they can talk to. They need to have resources. They need to have that support network. And I found when teachers have that, then they relax and they're more willing to try to do some of these different things because they don't feel like they're on their own and they don't feel like, well, what if it all goes south? Then what do I do? They feel like they have some place to go when they need help. Awesome. Thank you. You know, one of the things that uh, I want to make sure that we talk about here is, you know, we're talking a little bit about that idea of uh, help, you know, teachers understanding about working to get to engagement in the classroom. So what advice would you give a teacher who is working with students who are in some sort of a remedial math or, you know, they're, they're, they're in the math class. It's a little back where the age of the group the age of the kid, you know, that means they're a little bit behind and so forth like that. What advice would you give to a teacher who's working with these type of students in this type of class to make the content engaging? The number one thing I would say is we have to stop acting like they're a blank slate. If they are in a class and it is something they have seen before, let's acknowledge that. Okay. That doesn't mean they understand it, but let's not act like they've never seen it. And what happens is the way that we typically um, I hate to say this, but the, the way that we teach remediation or any kind of developmental or remedial math, and it doesn't matter if you're high school or college, the way that we typically teach it is we're just going to do it again and we're going to do it louder and longer or faster or slower, but it's like we're not really doing anything different. Um, it's almost like working with um, a hard of hearing person and like yelling at them, like, why don't you get it? And it's like, but that, that's not working. Like we need a completely different tactic to go about it. So one of the things I would say is we've got to stop coming at at a lesson, say if it's like slope-intercept form with in a class where it's a remediation um, lesson, and they've seen this before. Let's not act like they've never seen it, okay? But instead, let's what we can do is let's come at it differently, and let's come at it with problems. Let's come at it with different situations instead of saying, okay, we're going to start the very, very, very beginning. That's what it's like. Oh, students are like, I've been here. I didn't like it the first time. I didn't understand it the first time. So, you know, that whole 
you know, saying, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That is what we typically do when we teach remedial content. And what I really think you have to do, and I've seen it be successful, you have to come at things differently, which is hard for math teachers because we want to be so linear. Like, well, we can't teach this until we've taught this, until we've taught this, and how can we bring up this topic because they haven't seen it yet. And I try to remind teachers, if you're in this situation with them, they've seen all the topics you're talking about. They don't understand them, but they've seen all of them. We don't have to act like they've never heard of order of operations or please excuse me, dear Aunt Sally. They've heard of Sally. They just don't know how to work with Sally. You know, it's just like that. So it's like, how can we take advantage of these things and look at problems differently, start differently? So, you know, that's a very high level thing. What I actually do in the classroom is I will start with some kind of application or use of something and that actually requires what the student is going to be learning. And they will get to a point where, and just let them try it. Let them try it any way that they want. And just based on the knowledge that they have. And then they're going to get to a point where they're going to be like, am I missing something? Is there something that I should know how to do? And that gives you the perfect opportunity to be like, oh, hey, remember this thing that we learned how to do? It was called slope intercept form. And they're like, oh, that's what this is? That is where you can actually start making a connection. And you can, and you can pull students in and you can actually make progress with them on a topic that they previously struggled with. I love that. That's, you know, it's, it, it's connecting kind of like the wires, connecting the, mm-hmm. <laughs> connecting the parts of the brain with this other stuff. And, you know, I had that happen with me one time when I was struggling in, uh, um, I was struggling in, uh, uh, it was geometry. And I knew someone who was a steel building construction, uh, con, uh, construction boss, if you will, and a site boss. And he happened to overhear me complaining about it with his son. And he's like, he goes, wait, da, 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 da. and he took us both over to his construction site. And he said, let me show you how I decide how to lay out, how we get started at a building. And that was cool. That <laughs> is I, cool. Because all of a sudden went, oh. And, you know, suddenly you saw the, you know, the, just the, the angles and the, you know, it's kind of like the quadratic formula suddenly was having a purpose. And uh, more than just, you know, to make you figure out how to do these problems. And uh, that was the coolest thing. And that always stuck with me. And it made geometry all of a sudden go, hey, that's not too bad. <laughs> Until we got yeah, to Yeah, when three- you start with something concrete, when you don't, it's not like, okay, let's just start with the, the very little basics that we've had forever. You come at it in a different way. What I found too is there's psychology going on here. Students, especially if they've seen a topic before, have preconceived notions of it its level of difficulty and what they can do with it. So I actually have students, they're like, you're sneaky. You get in algebra in ways that we don't expect. I'm like, eh, a little bit, because if they see it coming, they might shut down. So I've got to actually like, kind of like come in the back door and be like, oh, by the way, hey, you know, we're doing Y equals MX plus B. And they're like, what? That's so, funny. <laughs> and then it actually works. I like that. You have to be sneaky. That works. Yes. What, what, what? Yes, you were just doing that math. You just, you just yeah. didn't realize it. Nice. The, uh, Nothing like being sneaky to get the kids on board. So <laughs> good stuff. You know, um, something that else that I've heard you say is that colleges and universities have large numbers of students taking remedial math courses. When you were talking about this, you mentioned that whenever there is a transition, there is a gap in knowledge. Could you share some thoughts about this? Yeah, and I think that every, no matter what level of school that you teach at or work at, there is a transition point, the students that are feeding into your school or leaving it. So if you're high school, the students coming in as middle schoolers and the ones that are going to high school. Everywhere that we have a transition point, there is, there's often, almost always, if you ask anybody, especially in math, you'll say that's where the problem is because there's a gap in terms of, it's not just knowledge, what it happens is, it's a gap in understanding and expectations because we like to stay siloed in education. And it's, and you think about it, like a lot of people will say, and I know I've been guilty of saying this, oh, I love being in my classroom because I'm the queen. You know, you're the queen of your castle, the king of your castle. And that's what happens in education. It's like a lot of us, it's like we go in our classroom, we close the door and we can do things the way we're imagining. Teachers feel that way about their classrooms and a lot of administrators feel that way about their buildings. And it's like, this is my domain. And that can work. I mean, some of them work extremely well, but the problem is, is that our students are in this system. They're not just in our domain. And so eventually they're gonna have to transition to another system and we don't talk to each other enough. And it it, it happens all the way through, I mean, eighth grade and ninth grade and all these different places, but the place where it affects students with the highest stakes is from high school to college. And, you know, students, like I was mentioning earlier, that they've taken all these math classes and they don't know that they're gonna have to take 
um, a placement test. They don't know that all the things that, like that colleges typically don't look at transcripts and grades. That, that A didn't matter. It's can you pass this test, which you might not be able to use a calculator for today. And they're, sh they're just shocked by that. And so the main thing that I am always trying to push for, but particularly between high school and college, is we have to talk to each other, which is hard. I mean, that's, it's not easy to do, um, but I've done a lot of work where it's across the, the K-12 and post-secondary space. You know, it gets tricky. We, we all care about students. There's no question about that, but the way we do it is different. And our perspectives on how to do it are very different. And people really get really passionate about what they believe. And you start getting into philosophy and, you know, worldview and what is education and it can get heated. But putting our head in the sand and just be like, we're just going to do it our way. We're just going to hope for the best when they go to the next level is not working. And it really, and students suffer because of that. So the, the biggest thing that I could say that would help us reduce remediation and make this better for students, um, just in general, is we have to work across the levels in terms of high school to college. High schools need to understand how colleges operate. Colleges need to understand better what the high school students are learning. And we also need to be willing to look at each, what each other's doing and say, and what we're doing, going like, is that totally working? Like, like one of my passions and what I'll end up doing my dissertation on um, is how we do placement in colleges because I'm um, very fascinated by that. It was something as a math professor, I, you know, if the Accuplacer test says it or if Alex, whatever test we were using, if it says it, it is so. That is not the case. These tests are incredibly efficient and fast, but they are not necessarily as accurate as we once thought. And they have huge impact on how many students end up in remediation. So it's like, is it just a student is lacking knowledge or is the way that we determine that the issue? Maybe they are lacking knowledge, maybe they weren't, and the, the metric that we used to determine that wasn't effective. There's so many of these things that we need to have discussions about and be willing to like drop our egos and drop our, you know, like people get their back up so quickly and it's like, okay, are we serving students? That's what we've got to actually look at. That is so powerful what you just talked about because the, like you said, they use those tests and then it, it says it, therefore it's so. And, and, you know, one of the things I've learned over time and as a former history teacher, the same thing happens where um, there's a cloud that happens in transition and kids may not realize exactly what they're, what they know or what they don't know. And it's almost like they need like a little bit of um, getting back into the routine of things or whatever your routine is, understanding that as, and all of a sudden that cloud lifts and they're able to do um, a little bit better on what it is that you're asking. And so, for example, like I was totally in a cloud because I went from um, high school to a military school to become an officer in the army. And the first thing they did after they got you your uniforms and all this stuff, well, actually I had to go to basic training first. Then I went out there, <laughs> no, no real math up there at basic training. <laughs> um, the, uh, but then I go out there, and so my whole world, my point in saying this is my whole world's changing. And so when I get out there, then you're, you know, it's welcome to uh, being a new cadet, which is a lot, <laughs> is it a little stressful? <laughs> all right. A bit. And, and they'd start you in all this stuff, and then you go sit down and take these tests. <laughs> and and these tests determine what English you're in, what math you're in. And it's like, really? Okay, thank you. Yes, I'm very focused on this now. I mean, I was like, could you not have done this before I left my world where I was stable? So, I mean, I know that's an extreme example, but uh, sometimes I think those clouds happen. And it's amazing how some of the kids start going, oh, I do know some of this stuff. And uh, it could also be determined. You know, the, that's the problem, I think, with having something that uh, – just take it that one time and that tells you exactly what's supposed to happen. So, right. Yeah. And that's, so, I mean, like we need to, that's one of the things that people are looking at nationwide. How are we placing students? Is that part of the problem? Not just maybe they don't have the understanding, but maybe where we, who are we determining doesn't have the understanding. Maybe we're not as um, correct in that as we thought we were. So. Excellent. I'd like to use this as a second. Let's, let's go back to something that I read in your bio, which I said, I'd love for you to talk a little about. You mm -hmm. said, uh, um, you worked for nearly a decade to implement a non-STEM pathways alternative to beginning algebra known as math literacy for college students. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about it? Oh my goodness. I will not bore you to tears, but since you <laughs> asked, I will tell you some, because this is basically, um, 
I don't say my my baby, but it's one of the things that I am most passionate about. It's one of the highlights of my career. One of the things I've enjoyed the most working on. It's been the hardest thing I've worked on, but it's been so enjoyable. So, you know, I, I, at teaching at a college level, I teach all levels, but I do teach a lot of remediation. And um, I had always known we need to do something different with how we're, you know, doing, like, just like what I was talking about before, instead of just doing it faster or slower or whatever, we need to actually do something different. And so there was this nationwide, um, or this national initiative. It was with the Dana Center out of University of Texas, Austin, and the Carnegie Foundation, and they received funding from Lumina and Gates. And they, um, originally it was called Mathway, but then it became, I think that was uh, already trademarked. So it became Quantway and Statway. And I worked on the Quantway project when it initially started in 2009. They had um, different math teachers, um, college math faculty from around the country that worked on this. And what we were tasked to do was, if we could change how education looks, how remediation looks, what would we dream it to look like? It was awesome because we got to really like, what would you imagine it? Now then the problem is you get into reality. It's like, okay, how do you make that actually happen? Um, but we you know, envisioned these new courses for students who are not headed towards calculus, they're headed towards statistics. So let's, instead of putting them through years more algebra when they get to college, if they're not college ready, let's come up with something different that's going to prepare them for the math they're gonna take. So not only is the, the course is supposed to, you know, it's, it's leading to, it's built off of the course that they're going to go into, which is different, but also we decided to do new um, pedagogy with the content. So it was all supposed to be contextualized, it's supposed to be real and relevant, and it's not necessarily as linear as we traditionally teach algebra. It, sometimes people will be like, we're hopping all over the place. And it's like, yeah, but that's how, that's how real things work. They're not always linear. Um, and so we're trying to teach them problem solving along with all these interesting concepts in a different way. And um, what happened with that was, I was really excited about the initiative, but one thing I'm that I know inside and out is I know teachers and I know what it takes to make change happen. And if you're going to expect, there's, there's two things if you want teachers to teach differently in the classroom that they have to have. They have to have materials and they have to have professional development. That is the way it is. And if you're gonna expect them to write all their own materials and figure it out on their own, on their own, all that free time they have, that's a joke, um, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. So I said, when are we talking to the major publishers? We've got to get textbooks. This is not going to work without them. And they were like, well, we'll get around to that eventually. And I was like, I knew that was going to be a linchpin. I knew that if we didn't have textbooks, that the teachers will see this as a fad and it will never happen. And so um, a colleague of mine, I said, hey, you want to write a math book? Because I love this idea and, there's, and we don't have materials to teach off of. And we had some connections with some publishers that I, I'd been doing other work with. And, then, and we pitched it to them. And it took over a year pitching it to them to get them to be interested in it. But eventually they did take us on and that was Pearson and my colleague and I, we wrote our first edition. And it's funny because this afternoon we have a, we're writing right now our third edition. So we're, um, we're working on it, but our course and that course and our book is used around the country and it puts into place what I'm talking about. It, it and we, <laughs> it was hard getting there because basically we had this idea, we wrote these problems and then we went and tested them and watch things fall on their face. And so we refined and refined and refined. And so now what's in print is what is now after we've tested and improved it. So it's based on actual classroom um, experience and what works and what doesn't work. And then we're always listening to the people that use our book and we're always like, what can we improve? And so that's what we're doing with our third edition now. We're improving all the things. It's never done. Um, I had a friend that told me, um, curriculum is like the laundry, it's never done. So, nice. you know, and I was like, oh, that's kind of true and depressing all at the same time. <laughs> um, so like, yes. but that's, it just, it is, it is what it is. So I'm like, so we're always finessing and working on it. So that's been a real labor of love for me because I teach the course, I helped develop the course, I wrote materials for it. I worked nationally on um, getting more information out about it, doing professional development. I went all over the country doing workshops, helping teachers. And then I worked specifically in Illinois to get a policy changed so that if students took that course instead of intermediate algebra, that they would be allowed to take statistics, that it would meet the prerequisite requirement. That was huge because that's not, that's not a little thing. It, you're, you're asking colleges and universities all over the state to accept a different prerequisite. And in math, we get wound up about those big time. Yes. So um, we get wound up about a lot of stuff, but that's, that's a big one. So it's just, it's been a lot of work, but it's, I love it. And it's all of it has been worth it without question. It's opened doors and led me to projects I never imagined. 
awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. You can hear your excitement about uh, that project, and that's and it and it is. You know, that, that's awesome. It, it's continued to um, just being reshaped and uh, you know re-edited and looking at what works and what doesn't and making those changes. That just tells you how much of an, a useful tool that that would be. So, yeah. kudos for that. The uh, you know. Let's use this as an opportunity now to uh, let you talk a little bit about Almi Educational Consulting, LLC. Um, why does it exist and why should someone reach out to you and your team? Well, and, and, and the business has actually been around for um, it's, it's five years now. It could be six. I, can't, I think it's five. I think it's, I became an LLC in 2015. Um, it was just something I always did on the side. That was the thing that was nice about um, being a math professor. You can do consulting. And so I had worked with colleges and universities and some high schools at that time um, on the side for years. And then I um, eventually, uh, in 2017, I left full-time teaching and I went into an administrative position at the state level in Illinois and ran a massive project that affected all the high schools and all the community colleges. And I learned so much from it. And at that time, I'd been debating about going full-time on my own with consulting, but I wasn't quite sure if I was ready. And so having that experience was amazing because <clears throat> I had to learn how to manage people, work not just in students, but manage peers and manage projects and grants and budgets and all those kind of things that you don't always deal with as faculty that you're kind of shielded from a lot of times. Um, and I worked a lot with the bureaucracy and policy change, and we were working with implementing a law. So I got to learn how how do state agencies work, how does local governance work. It was just it was a huge lesson, um, and so. And uh, last year, things changed in my life. A year ago right now, my dad had a massive stroke. He ended up dying and um, it's six weeks after the stroke. And just my life had changed and I just couldn't travel as much as I had with my previous job or the job I had at the time. And so I knew something was going to have to change that it was, I was just reaching a, um, a tipping point where I'm like, I just, I can't make this work. I was working on my doctorate. I have kids. Um, I'm, you know, I'm working 60, 80 hours a week and I'm traveling minimum three days a week. And then I'm taking care of my mom. And it's like, I just, I can't do all of this. So in August of last year, I went out full time on my own. And one of the biggest things that I wanted to do was bring the teacher's perspective to policy reform and all these changes. There's so much change happening in math education and teachers are not usually active participants. We are always in the room and we're always told, you know, like, of course we have a teacher that's in the room. Of course we have a teacher that's on a committee but it's a lot of times you feel like you're the token teacher that's on the committee. You do not feel like, okay, we have to say we have someone, so we do, but they're not an active voice. And I've worked in reform for so long, over a decade, and I have a lot of friends who have done the same thing nationally. And these reforms that work and last, not just work, but stick around, almost always are led by teachers. Because the teachers, uh, I always say this, the administrators are the, rel are the variable in schools, the teachers are the constant. And so as soon as an administrator leaves, an initiative will leave with them if the teachers didn't really buy in. But if the teachers do buy in and they own it, then that will continue. And that I've seen that happen time and time again. And so I'm like, we need to have the teacher voice as much as possible. So the, I started with my consulting business was the idea that I'm going to help people. That's my perspective is bringing that practitioner's perspective, even though I very much look at research and that's something that very much matters to me. I'm also looking at what does this look like in real life? How do we actually do this? What are the, the, the boundaries and the, you know, the, the issues that we have to deal with? Um, and so what I did was I'm like, there's only one of me. And I already knew I was, you know, you know, couldn't travel and have all the time that I wanted to. So I'm like, I'm going to bring on other people. And so I started asking um, colleagues and peers of mine that who had, had done um, reform work and they're all over the country. They've all had a background in the classroom. Some have also been administrators, but they've all held positions in terms of reforms and they have taught. And not, and not just like a year or two, but like they've taught for like a, a significant period of time. And those are the people that have the most credibility with teachers. And so what I'm looking, what I, our goal is, is to help if you're looking at a classroom level, if you're looking at course or policy level, or you're looking at a system or state level, if there's something that's not working with a math program, course, policy, whatever, come see us. That's what we specialize in. We have people that have worked, like I've worked at the state level, but I also know how to do classroom change. I have people that they specifically just work with classroom issues. I, I know people that their background is specifically implementing research but everybody on the team 
has a lot of experience and they're coming from a practitioner's perspective. So they know what the issues the teachers are gonna face and they're listening to them. And that's, that's one thing that we're really big on. So we don't come in and say, we're gonna solve all your problems, that we've got all the solutions. We want to solve your problems, but we're gonna to listen to you in terms of what do you need to make that happen? What are your constraints with your budget, your time? What are the politics that are going on? What are the personnel issues? You know, all that stuff, it's very much listening and then crafting a solution that will work for a school, be it, are we gonna write you curriculum? Are we gonna come in and do professional development? Are we gonna do ongoing professional development? Are we gonna help you implement a reform? We've been hired to do all kinds of things. Um, because and that's and that's what's nice we have a, a large skill set of people with different backgrounds so and here's a big thing too is we're going to do it at the level that the school wants so there are some administrators that very much want their own people leading everything they don't they do not want someone from the outside so we're just going to give them whatever they're looking for that maybe there's a gap in knowledge and so that their people can continue it. Then there's other administrators that are like, we want you to come in and just guide us, hold our hand through the whole process. We can do that too. But the idea is we're trying to customize it, not just the solution, but also the, the implementation and our interaction to what a school needs. Excellent. And, you know, I, by the way, I want to make sure I say this. You have a very user-friendly user-friendly, let me try that again. You have a very friend, user-friendly website. Oh, and, thank uh, you. We worked a long time on that. <laughs> and you can tell, and it's, it has a nice flow to it, and it has nice big images and uh, um, you know, the excerpts that go with it to explain all of this. And so I encourage everyone to, to go there because you know, my next question is, before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? That's the first place I would send them is to our website. So um, almyeducation.com. And it's not like the makeup. So it's A-L-M-Y. It doesn't have the extra A. Um, so almyeducation.com. And we've got, so let's say you're like, okay, who are these people that she's telling us about? What do they actually do? If you go to our website and you click the team page, you can see people, what level especially they have, what their background is. Most of them are currently teaching or they were. So I have a lot of people that are, in, that are currently in the classroom. Um, and also, I would love if there's someone you know that is amazing um, in the classroom or with policy reform with math, oh my gosh, please reach out to us because I'm always looking for more uh, talent because I know it exists. It's just you know getting in touch um, with the people who, who can do these different things because there's a lot of great talent out there. Um, but the other thing you could do is you can go to our services page and you can see the five different things that we do. Um, they're the broad areas and you can say, okay, what am I interested in? And what we try to do too is we've got something from free all the way up to you tell us the budget of what it is. We're, we don't want budget to be a barrier to entry. So we try to have solutions at every level. Um, now granted, if you want high touch, you want us out with your school doing lots of stuff, you know, that, that costs more because that's someone's time and expertise. But if you can't afford that, we still have ways that we can work with you because, you know, I bet you didn't know this, but schools don't have a lot of money. Who knew? It's just right. a, it's a secret in education. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, one secret that uh, our state legislature's dealing with right now. Yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that time of the year. So awesome. So um, also, is there a way that, uh, do you have any other uh, social media presence? I mean, because I know you got like a YouTube channel, you got a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, you want to share anything about those areas? Absolutely. So um, if you go to Twitter, it's we're at Almi underscore education. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think our other ones. At Facebook, it's just at um, Almi education. Um, you can also look up um, Almy Education on LinkedIn, or you can look at my name, Kathleen Almy. Um, and so, you know, definitely come engage with us on social media. Uh, what I want, and actually I'm going to use this as a, as a chance to put this out into the universe. What I love to do is help people solve specific problems. And it's funny, I do it all the time. People are like, oh, can I just pick your brain? I just want you to help me do this. Um, we are like trying to do more with blogs and provide more um, specific situations that someone is dealing with and a tangible solution. So if you are in that situation and you are looking for free help and you want to throw us a problem, I would love to potentially write up a solution and make that as part of a blog or something else we may do in the future. You know, other ways that we may help people, um, not just in print. 
Awesome. Awesome. So I'll, I'll include um, links to the website and to the social media and all that in my show notes. So uh, those of you listening, I'll have, you know, you have a place to go back and uh, find that. So you don't have to, uh, you know, pull your bike over and write it down or whatever. <laughs> however you're listening to this at the time. But well, Kathy, I've enjoyed talking with you today and I got two last questions. And okay. uh, the first one goes like this. If you had the chance to talk with an audience of 100 brand new math teachers, what is something that you would want them to know or think about? So I can keep this brief, which is not something I'm known for, and I'm sure you picked up on that. <laughs> My husband will tell you that. I'm not known for brevity. But here's the big, biggest thing I would ask them, because I, I ask myself this question all the time when I teach. Am I focusing on teaching or learning? Is it about me or is it about my students? And I know we all say we're learning, we're focused on learning, but we need to really take stock in everything we do. Is it going to lead to learning? If it's not, we need to tweak it or drop it. But there's not time just to spend on us. It's just about us we, and saying, oh, we covered a topic. Really, are we focusing on student learning? That would be the biggest thing I would say to them. Awesome, awesome advice. So last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, my best teachers were my parents, but nice. um, I had a teacher and it was funny because I'm like, huh, I don't know. She, she wasn't the easiest person to have as a teacher, but I learned so much from her. So there was the teacher that I had that I did my student teaching for. Um, she was incredibly hard on me and uh, just, and she was just, she was really, really tough, but it was the best thing that she could ever give me. Um, because, because I was thinking like, I've definitely had great math teachers, but she actually was the one that really taught me how to be a math teacher, not just content. And one of the things she always told me was Kathy, she's like, math does not fall from the sky. It is not mistake mysterious. Everything you are teaching, you have to be able to explain why and not say, oh, this is a trick or whatever. You have to be able to teach it with understanding. I have never forgotten that. I say that to my students often, that there's a reason for everything we're doing and that this is not mysterious. Um, and it's really, it's something I've never, this has never left me. It's like, and I, when I get up in front of students, if I can't explain it with depth and clarity, I shouldn't be teaching it. I got work to do. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing so much. You know, Kathy, thank you so much for talking with me today. I, lo I love the tagline of your company. You know, remind everybody it's All Me Educational Consulting LLC. And the tagline is solving your math problems, which is very cool. Um, best, wishes, best wishes to your drive to help organizations address the way they teach math and helping students be successful in their mathematical pursuits. I greatly appreciate your time today. Take care. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.